0: It's a very complex issue and you need people that are able to solve extremely hard to solve problems that were never solved before. You need to assume that you'll fail many times and still wake up every morning, assuming that you will find a solution. I think the main problem that we had when we looked at cloud security is that we try to look at it as a distinct area, which is a way to augment on-prem security.
1: From GGV, this is Founder Real Talk, where we get real about the challenges that founders and startup executives face and how they've grown from tough experiences. I'm your host, Glenn Solomon. Without further ado, here's today's episode. On today's episode of Founder Real Talk, I'm joined by my colleague, Oren. Hey, Oren. Hey, Glenn. And we're thrilled to welcome Avi Shua, CEO and co-founder of Orca Security. Hailing from Israel, Avi earned his computer science and philosophy degrees from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem after serving in the intelligence corp of the Israeli Defense Forces. He co-founded Orca in 2018 in Tel Aviv after more than 20 years of working in cybersecurity, most recently as chief technologist at Checkpoint. Orca is disrupting the cloud security market by providing frictionless workload-level security and visibility into all the major cloud platforms, AWS, Azure, GCP without the need of agents. We're gonna talk more about that and why Avi's chose that approach. GGV's proud to have led Orca's Series A round, which was less than 12 months ago. From the time we're talking about uh, today, a very exciting announcement, Orca has announced the raising of their Series B, a $55 million financing that GGV is proud to have invested in more than our pro rata. Avi, thanks so much for being with us today and welcome to Founder Real Talk.
0: Glenn, thanks for having me. Excited to be in this conversation.
1: Awesome. So, you spent eight years in the Israeli Defense Force, the IDF, in various technical roles and received numerous accolades. In addition, you decided to supplement your bachelor's of science with philosophy studies. Did you ever envision yourself doing what you're doing today while you're in the uh, Israeli Defense Force?
0: I don't think I could have envisioned doing what I do today for many reasons. First, when I was in the IDF, I was lucky to be much closer to the technology than I am today. I still uh, try to be as close to the technology as I can, and I'm looking at any developer and people that actually happen to write the code and get to this thing. You can make an engineer manager, but you can't take the engineer out of him. But most more important is that I think that when you are in the IDF as a developer and you're looking at things, you're looking at them from only one angle, from the technical angle. And this is very micro. And at least the things that I learned in my decade in checkpoint after leaving the IDF really built, really caused us to build Orca the way it did. You know, when as a developer, you think I need to install something on machine, no problem, I'll install that. You don't understand, the organisational challenges that involved extremely large organisation with thousands of people—it's simply not something that you are aware of.
1: Interesting. And any skills that you know you've brought with you that have been particularly germane now that you're uh, CEO and founder of uh, of a startup that came from uh, the IDF days?
0: Definitely, I must say that I think that the training at the IDF, especially for the cyber organisation, is something that. Caused the Israeli cyber industry to be what it is. And while people many times focus on the technology, on understanding internal, understanding attackers, I think there is something which is dramatically more fundamental. And this is the fact that you take a bunch of 18 years old and you teach them to believe that they are able to solve problems. And I know it sounds trivial, but we so common teach people knowledge. We teach them this is a problem, this this is their solution. And we essentially cause them to look for solutions that are already out there. Instead of telling them, take a few hours, take a few days, take a problem, find a solution by yourself. And when you do that, and you force people to sit for months, and this is exactly what we do in the IDF. I did as a soldier, I did it later when I led training courses. And you face them with problems, and you don't allow them to look. What are the solutions that are known? You believe you build the belief set that you will be able to solve the problem. And this is crucial when you are trying to actually solve problems that don't have a good solution to that moment. Great point. That
1: reminds, Oren. I, I don't know if you remember when we interviewed for Founder Real Talk, Slavik Markovic from Domisto. Uh, several episodes ago, he told us a great story. Avi, when he was in the IDF, he was building a product and they couldn't understand why. But at eight o'clock every morning, it failed. And this was a, a product that was in place throughout the all of Israel. And they saw that it was failing in one specific area in a pretty remote spot. And so they drove out to this spot to watch what was happening at eight o'clock. And they were asking all sorts of technical questions. And sure enough, at eight o'clock, they saw um, like a security guard unplug the system so that they could plug in a coffee pot to make coffee. And that was the the culprit. So sometimes getting out in the field, great way to find where the problems are. Exactly.
2: Avi, speaking about large organizations, before you founded Orca, you spent spent 11 years at Checkpoint, which is, I'm guessing, quite a transition. What was it that prompted you to shift from a large corporate role to creating something from
0: scratch? So I think that it's, as always, it's a combination of things. I learned tons of things in Checkpoint. As I mentioned, I joined Checkpoint immediately after being in the IDF, and you see things when you're on the offensive side as a programmer. You see things in one angle, and you don't understand how organization work, the real challenges, how they operate. It's much more complex than what we look at it just in the micro. And really i learned the law. checkpoint is an amazing company that allowed me to progress and become gradually from a team leader to be i was promoted to a group manager starting in your product uh, the sandboxing solution of checkpoint and every manager and then chief technologist and even by the way uh, to start a training course to get people that don't have any cyber expertise and make them cyber experts but First, I felt that this is the time in my career to start something without the supportive environment of Checkpoint. And most importantly, large companies are very good in building things that augment the intellectual property. You add something good, let's say a firewall that is great in doing VPN, IPS, you can add another functionality on that. This is naturally very good uh, way to progress in the market because you have the foundations. And as long as you build on this foundation that have been built for 20 years or more, then this it's very easy. It's much harder for a large organization to say, the physics have changed, the rule of the problem have changed. Now we, look, we need to look at this problem from a completely different lens, even if these lens are completely unrelated to all of our intellectual property. There's a common proverb that if all you have is a hammer, then you treat everything like a nail. So of course, large organization don't try to do that, but if you have invested all of your life in building hammers, you are going to try to treat things like a nail. And you need to get out of this environment where you are such an expert hammer building if you reach a different kind of problem. And this is exactly how I saw the cloud.
2: Interesting way to look at it, for sure. You mentioned cloud. and Orca is a cloud security product. Cloud security has, has been around for for quite some time with some substantial M&A action. There's Redlock that got acquired by Palo Alto Networks. There's EvidentIO that got acquired by the same company, Dom9, that was picked up by your former employer, Checkpoint. And the list goes on. Why go and start yet another cloud
0: security company? So I must say, as this is a podcast for startups, I want for, for founders, I won't focus only about the technology, but about the mindset that caused it. You know, I knew that there's so many companies that are handling cloud security. There's a lot of buzz about it. But I decided to take the time to understand what actually is needed and what's actually out there in the market. And just because there's 40 companies and I managed to count more than 40 cloud security vendors when I did this research, it doesn't mean that there isn't a place to do something if you believe it should be different. I think the main problem that we had when we looked at cloud security is that we try to look at as a distinct area, which is a way to augment on-prem security. I know it sounds weird, but. At the end of the day, the mindset that existed for cloud security is that there is a lot of things in the cloud that are very similar to what we had on the on-prem. We had servers, so we had servers also on the on-prem. We had networks, we had networks on the on-prem. So for all of this stuff, we used to take the existing solution that existed before the cloud. You had servers, you needed to protect them from vulnerabilities, from malware, from misconfiguration. Red solutions on the on-prem to protect them from vulnerabilities, malware, etc. Red networks, red solutions for that. And there are some distinct areas that are cloud-only, and they are very limited because it's just the configuration of the cloud, not of the thing in the cloud. And for that, we'll do cloud security. But when you look at it from the macro level, you understand that while technically it may work, this is extremely suboptimal because you take solutions that originally weren't planned for the cloud. You assume that they'll work in the cloud optimally, just because you have them. And then you augment them with the missing piece. And this is a patchwork. And this is the way I saw it. Now, it's also important not to be too much impressed by marketing material. I saw companies that you know, created some nice marketing material explaining how they're cloud-first and build solutions that are ready for the cloud. And when you dig in, they haven't changed anything from the on-prem solution beside the logo. So many times it seems like there's a lot of innovation, but there isn't.
2: Understood. But what really made you believe that, you know, there's 40 companies in there in the market, obviously not all of them are doing what you're planning to do, but what made you believe that you have the recipe to build a really large company here?
0: So I looked at the high level problem and the problem is very simple. I always love to ask myself a relatively simple question to see if there is a real problem. And is there a solution that can show me the important risk in my cloud environment while maximizing the characteristics that I would like to have? And I put three characteristics that I believe that any solution need to optimize, comprehensiveness, detecting all of the risk, coverage doing it for all of the organization without friction and context being able to prioritize the things that actually matter. And there was simply no solution that could do that. And the reason is because everyone took the easy path of just borrowing the things from the on-prem and augmenting it with some cloud-specific thing. And this is a large problem. These are problems that wrote many billions of dollars in the on-prem and it moved to the cloud. And anyone was just taking the solution that were suboptimal and shifting them to the cloud. And when you have a large problem, which is solved in a very suboptimal way, and you believe that you'll find a better way, and this is important because when we started, we didn't knew that we will find a better way to solve this problem. We had the belief that we can do that, but we didn't knew, we'd have no reason to assume in that beside believing, then this is a potential for an extremely large company.
1: Maybe pushing on that a little bit more, Avi, you know, your patented and pending technology side scanning is uh, very unique and allows the company to provide this type of uh, comprehensive and context-based security in the cloud without uh, the support of agents, which are problematic for a lot of companies in the cloud. You clearly, you didn't wake up one morning and have that answer, right? You guys had to had to think it through and figure out what's a different approach Was there an aha moment you could talk about or something that you credit maybe to the culture or the way you guys work together that has allowed you to be so innovative?
0: So I think it starts from what I told about where you think in the IDF, that you must believe there is a a solution to the problem. We knew that everyone in the industry, literally everyone, depending on installing agent or deploying network scanner. We knew it's suboptimal. We knew that you know, 20 years ago, before the age of the cloud, physically, there is no alternative. When you are scanning a physical environment, you can't, if you don't run anything on the machine or come from the network, you won't see it. So we have all the reason to believe that we reached this case in the industry that these, the reason for the fact that we are doing it that way are wrong. They are based on historical reason, not on the way it should be. But there is no reason to believe we will find it. Beside the general mindset that if there's a problem and you'll invest enough brain power in that and you'll try enough, you'll find a solution. You need to believe in that. It's not based on anything beside just taking the time and trying one way, trying a second way, trying 10 ways till you succeed without stopping. This is the only way to have this kind of iterative process.
1: Mm. But it is iterative it's not uh, it's not a binary thing in your mind
0: it's not like if you you know when you're handling such problems if you think that you'll wake up and the first solution that you will try will work you are going to have a very very bad surprise you need <laughs> to assume that you'll fail many times and still wake up every morning assuming that you will find a solution this is the mindset that is required when you are not trying to solve a problem in a way that was solved before.
1: Got it. Super helpful. I think a lot of people take a lot away from that who are trying to build their own innovations into their companies. Where did the name Orca come from?
0: So two reasons. First, orcas, they have two main characteristics that we liked and I think resemble what we do. First, a single orca can traverse all of the world's oceans. It can swim and reach everywhere. And... At the same time, they have a very good biosonar, so they can look into things in a touchless manner. And this is a very nice analogy to what we are doing, that we look at the environment and we scan it in a touchless manner without, and we're still able to see inside. And also it's quite, it's a nice name. It has a good sound to it.
1: Yeah. And I see orin has got an Orca t-shirt on right now. And I'm I don't seem to have one. So I, I need to get my name on the list for some good Orca swag.
0: We'll definitely make sure it happens.
1: Okay. So, you know, one other thing that Orin and I definitely noted when we were when we first met you and we were evaluating the company, we had a chance to spend time with you and your co-founder, Gil. And then we we realized, oh, there's another co-founder and another and another. You have eight co-founders. That's pretty rare. Like we see two people, you know, sometimes one a lot of times 2 or 3 every once in a while 4 I don't think I've ever seen 8 Alibaba famously has uh, even more than that but I'm curious like how did you decide to how you meet these folks how did you decide to do a company with a bigger group and how you know what impact has that ha- had on how you've you know started building the company and running the company
0: so as you mentioned, there are some uh, very notable successful companies that have a large founding team, and I believe that this is a very good recipe for success because building a company is a marathon that you need a lot of people in order to join you in order to succeed. Yep. Now, the way it was actually that it actually happened in Orca, and not a lot of people believe, but this is the truth, is that Orca is a group of two startups that joined forces. They were very early. I and Gil knew each other uh, since before Checkpoint, we worked together for 11 years and we knew each other since our, the time that we learned together in the University and we worked for this uh, time and it was very natural for us to start something. And we learned that there's a group of six extremely talented people from, uh, from Checkpoint that, were, that by the way, weren't reporting to us, of course we knew them, but. They're never reporting to Gil or me or within our department. They also decided to start a startup in a completely different way. And this group was of the most talented people that I knew. All of them were architect in Checkpoint, which is uh, the most senior uh, techno- uh, technology uh, title beside the chief technologist. And they, decide, they thought of starting a startup in a different area. And we got to know each other. And it was immediate match that together we can build something which is dramatically stronger, because we knew that the problem that we are trying to tackle is not a small one. It's not something that you can just, you know, buy some, develop, uh, hire some developers that will solve it. It's a very complex issue, and you need people that are able to solve extremely yeah, hard to solve problems that were never solved before. And this was, I'll say, a match made in heaven. And we see that it works. Many times people say, how do you manage the company when you're eight people managing? But we are not eight people managing. At the end of the day, I'm managing certain things, but I'm not going to argue with my senior architects when they have a certain thoughts about how designing things or the best way to handle issues internally in the system. Each one is owning a different part and we're discussing, but it's not like every decision is made by eight or 10 people. Quite the opposite.
1: Got it. Got it. So strength in numbers. Yep. Great. So your team of founders brought immense technological expertise to the table. How does this
2: translate into your go-to-market strategy?
0: So essentially, our go-to-market strategy was relatively simple. And I think it's many times the way it happens for for companies like ours that is started by by very strong technology team. We didn't add a very complex go-to-market strategy. It was just, we know that there is a problem. We know that the solutions that exist today are lacking. And we believe that we can build a solution which is an order of magnitude better than the existing one. And I emphasize this order of magnitude better for a reason. Because I believe that if you just come with something which is 10% 10 better, 20% better, then it's much harder to penetrate. But when you have something that solves actual problems, and the thing with Orca is that when we started telling people about that, the question was, okay, if it works, it's amazing. I don't believe it works. We literally reduced project that took many, many years of few people into minutes. We have worked with organizations that deployed agents, and literally had a team of four or five people trying to deploy it on hundreds of uh, departments. And now they don't need to do that. They have the better coverage without doing that. So it was about telling people, telling everyone who is willing to listen about the capability. And this is the way that, you know, uh, we started. We didn't add any uh, advanced go-to-market strategy. Frankly, none of the founding team ever led a sales organization before.
2: Gotcha. So the early days of Orca, you were basically founder selling magic, which is what often many startups do. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, your initial customer acquisition and what was it that people decided
0: to believe in your magic and to give it a go? So at the beginning, it was just, let's put it, brute force approach. Talking to anyone who is willing to listen and telling them, you know, we can do that for you. It will solve the problem dramatically easier than the rest, till someone is willing to try. And after people willing to try and it works for them, then it becomes much easier. We took the approach of of pushing our customers to write reviews about our product to become reference customers. We have, I think, more than 12 reference customers, although although we are less than two years old. And this became the selling tool. And we found, by the way, that it's relatively easy to get people to talk about Orca, simply because it was unique. And people love to talk about uh, something unique. It's hard to get someone to say, okay, I installed this agent versus that agent, this one had 20% issues, this one had 15% issues. This is not exciting. There's no reason for me to uh, take the time. But when people saw Orca as a dramatically different way to do security, they're very happy to talk about it. And once people start talking about something, then it's like a snowball. You get more and more, more people talking and asking and saying, ah, we're wasting time. We're becoming plumbers instead of solving the issues that matters, instead of doing the actual security. And this is the way that it evolved. That's quite
1: powerful. And I would say, I'll share a, a brief anecdote, Oren As you know, Avi is a a former chief security officer himself and is a little bit of a pied piper when it comes to chief security officers. He has a lot who follow him. And uh, he shared with me a screenshot of something he was involved with a a little back and forth with a bunch of CISOs. And somebody asked the question about uh, Orca relative to another solution in the market from a much larger company and an incumbent and uh, a number of other CISOs jumped into the conversation to say, "Hey, you really should, you know, Orca all the way." And here's why: uh, like they were excited about it. So it, it you've been able to capture uh, people's excitement and win their hearts and minds, which is very hard to do. But when you do that, you can really, you know, use that as as momentum to continue to drive growth. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the notoriety of the company. It's been growing fast in part because the product is great and people love it. But you've also done, you did this recent punch out series, which, you know, I'd love to learn a little bit more about. Maybe you could talk about what it is. It's elicited a cease and desist order um, from Palo Alto Networks, a very large company in the space to which you, you publicly responded. And that's created, you know, a number of commentaries in the market. Uh, maybe you could walk us through, you know, why did you decide to do this Punch-Out series, what it is, and then and then what, what's happened with Palo Alto?
0: So I'll start by explaining why I took this approach. One of the bad things about cybersecurity marketing is that it's many times so much talking about cliches to a level that people don't understand product, what a certain product does. There is a whole joke that we used to have when we uh, I was looking and assessing companies and helping assessing products that sometimes you can go to a company website spend three to five minutes reading the webpage and don't understand what they do after that. I honestly reach a situation in many companies that you read their marketing materials, you see a lot of happy people, but you don't know what this company does. And I believe that because there is so many solutions in the market, cybersecurity marketing must be very much factual based and don't talk about our solution is the best. Don't talk generically, but show evidence. The selling process today is so much more focused on the practitioners that actually need to see, is it going to solve my problem or not? And they don't want to see marketing points. They want to see actual facts. And this is why we decided to do something which is as factual based as possible. We called it the punch out series, where what we did is that we installed a lab, an AWS environment. And at the same time, we pointed our solution and competing solutions in the market to that environment. As by definition, when you are doing the comparison and no one will assume that your objective, we decided to record in a video the entire process. What's in the environment, what issues do you see? When you deploy Qualys to that environment, Palo Alto, now we're at Rapid7 and we'll add more. And it was as factual as possible. And we published it and we got very good feedback from practitioners that essentially told us, you know, this helped us when we reviewed products. We don't have time to install that. We don't have time to build labs. This is helpful, but it was very small in nature. It was never meant to be something that everyone sees or as a YouTube ad. It's a 12-minute video. Most people don't have time for that. What really surprised us is that we got... From Palo Alto Network, which is one of the largest cybersecurity vendors out there, a cease and desist letter, they talk, haven't talked about this comparison is wrong or something like that, but they claimed that users are not allowed to publish reviews of the platform without their consent. And this sound literally absurd to me, because at the end of the day, these are products that can be evaluated, that you can get a free copy that are used according to Palo Alto by more than 65 doesn't organization. So the thought that you are able to limit your customer from publishing reviews using a legal threats and the claim that the EULA prevents it sounds absurd eh, to me. And after a short consult with eh, my legal team who thought the same, we decided that the best approach is not to take it off simply because we didn't want to live in a world where a large vendor just threaten us and we take it off. But to share this and this letter, let the community decide whether it accept the event was preventing the customer from being able to see data or to publish reviews. And I never expected the level of uh, buzz and uh, feedback that it created. I got hundreds of messages, literally hundreds of messages from practitioners all around from the industry, including Oracle competitors, by the way, that supported our message that supported the fact that customer should be able to publish reviews, that data should be on the web. Naturally, if Palo Alto wants to create a comparison highlighting why they believe the product is better than Orca, they should do that. If any competitor in the market want to show that, is welcome to do that. But there is no uh, space for using legal threats to remove such kind of content. And we got extremely uh, wide support from all around the world, from all around the industry uh, for that. And I think we touched an open nerve that that the cybersecurity industry really values transparency and not trying to limit the the free flow of data.
2: Avi, you recently announced a very healthy Series B, a $55 million less than seven months after you raised uh, another substantial Series A. Could you tell us about the reasons of raising another round now, and specifically, you know, you have a, a very unique involvement by a practitioner angel uh, group of uh, chief security officers called SVCI. If you can talk a little bit about, you know, what is that that made this uh, group of individuals to put their own money into the company, and how you are working with them.
0: So I'll start about the involvement of uh, SVCI, which has been amazing. We've been introduced into SVCI around a year ago. And we immediately fell in love with the idea of essentially uh, practitioners, the people that care about the problems that we are solving, who are willing to invest their own time in companies they believe in. And when they chose Orca, there was literally no better uh, vote of confidence where the people who are the user of the product not only choose to buy it from time to time, but to put their own money in the company. And I must say that the value that we got out of that is dramatically more than the monetary value of the investment, but the access to people that literally put their own time into explaining the way they think. And this is important because when you as a, I'll say a vendor, have a way that you think of things and the customer sometimes think about it very differently. And if it doesn't match, not always, it'll take the time to explain it deeply enough so you'll understand the way they think about it and tune it. And when people invest their own money into the company, they put this time. And I got some amazing relationship out of that and people that we know how to consult, that we can consult, and this helped us grow the company a little on a daily basis. Now, regarding the first question about why we took the such a large investment, so... At the end of the day, when you are growing at the speed that we are growing, and we're growing tremendously fast in all fronts, in development, in sales and marketing, we tripled our R&D team. We grew in sales in around the year from two people to 30 people. And also on the marketing fronts, we didn't have anyone now. We're soon going to have a team that is going to be 10 people. It's clear that we are continuing to grow. And we will need the, these additional funds. And when we had the opportunity to meet a conic that led our Round B, we knew exactly that these match. They shared our vision completely, and there is no reason to wait. If you can take this out of your goals and know that you have the a full gas tank when you are uh, flowing the gas pedal, so to speak, better to do that.
1: Well, congrats on the announcement, Avi. It's as I mentioned earlier, we're very excited to be more than our pro rata in the round and welcome iconic as well. And our good friends at YL I know are, are also super excited. So we're behind you and uh, looking for great things in the future. Speaking of the future, uh, maybe you could look into the crystal ball for us. You know, where do you think, what does success look like for Orca? Uh, maybe, you know, take the vantage point of three or five years from now. What, where do you want the company to be? And, and then even longer term, what, what are your goals and aspirations?
0: Let me answer that from the viewpoint of the customer. My viewpoint is that our vision that customers, are, that companies are able to grow in the cloud fast and securely is something that many more companies enjoy. As of today, there's an ongoing battle between developers that are trying to innovate, that are pushed to release fast, that use want to use the newest and coolest technologies and the security team that are held responsible for the risk. And they are the ones that say no, that, try, that unfortunately need to delay the process. And this is a friction that exists and we are essentially helping dramatically to solve that. Because when the security team know that they have, they have eyes inside of the environment, they know what the risks are, they can allow the team to innovate. And the way I see the world is that in three to five years, companies will see, That by using solutions like Orca and hopefully only Orcas, they are able to innovate in the cloud as much faster than the way they did on the on-prem world.
1: It's really a a great place to be. If you can sit in between quickly innovating companies and uh, those folks writing the the applications and platforms that help drive value on the one hand and the security folks on the other and and let them all do their work well, it's going to be a very bright future for Orca. So Avi, we're we're at this point in the episode where we're going to put you on the hot seat and ask you a couple of uh, speed round questions. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. What book or article uh, do you like to recommend to founders?
0: Article naturally your series Glenn, in uh, Forbes." <laughs> I can tell you that it's very enlightening, really. Uh, I learned a lot from it. But if we go beyond that, I really think that you need to understand your industry. I don't think that there is a general book that I'll recommend a founder in any industry. You need to understand your the solution, your industry, the way it works to the best and not have some generic high-level answer.
1: Okay, great. Well, by the way, thanks for the plug on my articles, but now I'm questioning your uh, your judgment.
0: <laughs> Don't think
2: we ever got a recommendation for that. That's the first and final real talk. <laughs> Hopefully not the last. Avi, what piece of advice would you give to young Avi?
0: Great question. So essentially what... I, the main thing that learn to believe in yourself, take the leap of faith, believe that things will go, take the risk.
1: Take the risk. Okay. Speaking of risks, have you ever gotten close to an orca whale? Have you gone and looked at them or seen them in person?
0: In fact, yes. I moved to the States a year ago and had a few opportunities to go whale watching. It was really super and amazing experience. I recommend to anyone who have an opportunity who can take the day off and go see them.
1: Awesome. Well, Oren and I are going to do a lot of whale watching. We're watching Orca closely, and uh, we're very excited by uh, the path you're taking and uh, uh, can't wait for a very rosy future to continue to evolve for you and your company. Avi, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing the story of of Orca security. We are super excited for you. Congrats on the Series B, and we know this is one small step in a very long journey that is going to be very exciting. So thanks so much.
0: Thanks for having me and thanks for the vote of confidence we couldn't uh, ask for better investor and interviewers.
1: (laughs) Thanks. Take care. You've been listening to Founder Real Talk. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app to help others find this podcast. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask our guests or founders you'd like to hear on this podcast, feel free to email us at founderrealtalk at ggvc.com. Our theme song is by Grapes. GGV Capital is a global venture capital firm that invests in local founders. As a multi-stage, sector-focused firm, GGV focuses on seed to growth across consumer, social and internet, enterprise cloud, and frontier tech. The firm was founded in 2000 and manages $6.2 billion in capital across 13 funds. Past and present portfolio companies include the likes of Affirm, Airbnb, Alibaba, Didi, Grab, HelloBike, HashiCorp, House, Keep, Namely, New, Opendoor, Peloton, Poshmark, Slack, Square, Wish, and many more. The firm has offices in Beijing, San Francisco, Shanghai, and Silicon Valley. Learn more at ggvc.com or follow us on Twitter at at ggvcapital or ggvcapital on WeChat.